So, John, where is the worst place you've ever thrown up? Oh, that's easy. I never throw up. Mm. It's true. I just don't vomit. I've just got one of those really strong constitutions. I can be as sick as a dog. I can drink as much as I like. Never ever throw up. I can think of multiple occasions. Mm. You must be mistaken. I've never thrown up. Mm. Mm, sure. What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Lying? I don't know. <laughs> there may have been one occasion. Maybe. One occasion, maybe. Maybe, yeah. There may have been a Christmas when I went home from university mm-hmm. and met with some old friends and we went to the busiest pub in our, in our town. Mm-hmm. It was the kind of one where, and it was Christmas as well, so it was super busy. It was like, the bar was like three or four people deep the whole time. Mm-hmm. So everyone was buying just rounds of three or four drinks every time they went to the bar just to not have to queue up sure. over and over again. You know how it is. I may have got spectacularly drunk that night and um, staggered home to my parents' house. And uh, this was on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And been woken up on Christmas Day by my dad. It's about 6am on Christmas Day. By my dad furiously shaking me and <laughs> telling me to get downstairs right away and to clean all the vomit off the sofa before my mum got up. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, John. Oh. But that's the only time. The only time. Sure it is, yeah. And I, I also know that that is probably the worst thing you've left on that sofa, isn't it? Definitely. Oh, absolutely. You've never yeah, left anything worse on that yeah, sofa. Yeah, definitely. That, that was the yeah. low point, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry, and joining me as always is John. Hello. And today is the first day of our Stephen King season, so we are doing films exclusively based off books by Stephen King. Indeed, yeah. And uh, so the first of which is, uh, is it my choice? Or this was your choice, you, cho- you this is your fault, you chose this. Yeah, my fault. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding, I like this <laughs> uh, Yeah, stand by me. Hmm. So what do you think of this? I like this film. Mm-hmm. I, I'd already seen this film. This mm-hmm. is, I really, really like this film. I was surprised that you liked this film. Or I was assuming you liked this film. I was surprised that you chose this film, really. Okay. Uh, only because I know that you have... Like, we've, both, we've many times discussed doing the film The Goonies, but you've kind of always vetoed it because you mm-hmm. say you hate that movie because you're a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I feel like this is in a similar kind of place to The Goonies. It's kind of that... Is it? Well, it's more serious than The Goonies, but mm. it's like it's got that, like, kids' adventure, like... Yeah, but then, like, so Stranger Things, and you, you know I'm a big fan of that. True, but then the Stranger Things is very Goonies-esque as well. Yeah, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. Like, Goonies just feels very childish. That's fair. And it's this, tapping into a different kind of And this feels very grown-up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's... Like, like they, they are opposite ends of, of, of the same scale, these two films. That's fair. Would you say this was a kid's movie? No. No? Okay, I, I would disagree. I think it is. Mm-hmm. I saw this when I was a kid, probably about the age of these kids, where maybe slightly older for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I think, even though it's quite serious... I think it definitely taps into something that, like, you appreciate more when you watch it as a kid. Like, mm. about, you know... I mean, I had a very boring childhood, but I really, I remember always really wanting to go on, like, one of these adventures. You know, mm. when you just go walking down the rail tracks with your mates in the forest or something, you're on an adventure to find a, a dead body or a hidden treasure or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. So, I don't know, I, th- I think it taps into that quite well. I think it's it's a good example of a kid's film that doesn't patronise kids. Mm. Yeah. It's not like a children's movie, but I think it's a good film for, like... Young adolescents, like you know, mm. people around the age of the, the kids in this film. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but, yeah, no, I get that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was happy to do this again. It's not a typical Stephen King choice, obviously, because a lot of the things he does is pretty much associated with horror, and this mm. isn't really a. Well, it's not a horror film. No, not uh, really. Other than no. the horror of adolescence, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Although actually, it, the book the, it wasn't a book; it was a short story. I think that this is based on actually is actually called The Body. Mm-hmm. And they, the reason they call it Stand By Me is because... The, there was no good song called The Body. Well, there's no good song called The Body, yes. <laughs> uh, but also the studio thought that people would think it was another Stephen King horror movie. Fair enough, yeah. So they needed something that would make it seem, make it more marketable to like young people because yeah. The Body just sounds like a classic Stephen King, you know, like The Thing or, you know, yeah. The Shining, The Body, you know. Yeah. So they went with uh, Stand By Me instead. So was it named after the song? Yeah, I think that, that uh, it was like the... Because I know the song predates it by a few decades. Yeah. But like, did they, did they already have the song like for the credits and like a few musical stings in the middle? And they were like, you know what? Let's just call the film "Stand by Me." It works. I think so. I think they really struggled to think to come up with 
a title that everyone was happy with, and mm-hmm. I think that they must have they must have already had the Benny King song, mm-hmm. song "Stand by Me" on the soundtrack, and they must have just thought, well, you know, it's the least worst decision we can make. So, mm-hmm. yeah, because it doesn't really make a lot of sense as a title. No, no. If you think about like what the film's about. The, mm-hmm. the body is actually, you know, that's mm-hmm. a good title for what the film is about in many ways. Yeah, "Stand by Me." I guess they stand by each other. Well, they all all kind of stand up together at the end against uh, Keith Sutherland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, maybe. I guess they couldn't call it lollipop. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Train dodging the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, what did you think? Was this your first time watching it? Yes, it was. I really enjoyed it, I think. Um, Yeah, it was good. It, It really got really slow in the middle. I did have to. I, I watched watch that later, and I should have done. I did have to stop it and carry on the next day. Oh, really? Um, it's like less than ninety know, minutes long. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it definitely has a, a, a slow bit. Like the first half of it is quite action-packed, I guess. Not yeah, relative, I'd not, say it's not, all not, quite not, slow. Not action-packed, but like there's there's a, a lot of stuff going on. Things are happening. Yeah. Yeah, and then in the last half of it, maybe the last third, perhaps, it all gets into more sort of serious conversations that. Also, a lot of them don't end up with much emotion. Like one, or, one or two of them, there's big conversations that end in people weeping. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. These kids are going through some things. Yeah, they <laughs> really are. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I found that uh, some bits in the last third just really slowed down, and I just wasn't paying attention. And I was like, I, I need to pay attention to this. This film deserves my attention. That's fair. That's fair. You need to be in the right frame of mind. Yeah, this is the sort of film that I'd have loved to have seen in the cinema. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it made me think, like, if this film... Obviously, it's, like, 30 years old. It came out in 1986, so it's 33 years old. Mm-hmm. But if, if this film came out, like, this week, mm-hmm. and it probably could be much the same film. It's not, I don't think it's particularly dated. Like, obviously, it's set in the 50s anyway, so it's a period thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this is the kind of film that if we went to the cinema, cinema we'd be like, oh, that was a really nice surprise. Mm. It, it, one of those. So, yeah. 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 I know what you mean. So, yeah, I would have liked to have seen it in the cinema too, but way before my time. I was 12 going on 13 the first time I saw a dead human being. It happened in the summer of 1959, a long time ago. But only if you measure it in terms of years. Um, yeah, so what else have you got to talk about? I don't know, do you want to do a plot summary, maybe? Okay, so we've got these four boys mm-hmm. who are Will Wheaton, yes. Corey Feldman, mm-hmm. uh, River Phoenix, yes, and... Somebody O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell. Jerry, I was going to say John. Oh, it wasn't... Mm. Close, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those four are just these four boys. Mm-hmm. Sort of prepubescent boys, yeah. I guess. Great actors. All all great actors. Yeah. I, I really appreciate because normally child actors bug me, but I thought they all gave really nice performances in this. They were all mm-hmm. very well cast. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really were. So Wesley the... Crusher, who knew? I don't know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, the main character, I guess, is Will Wheaton. Mm. Um, if there's... If you had to pick a main one of the four, and yeah. so his well, he's his, an eraser. Yes, uh, and so his story is that like his his older brother died, mm-hmm. and his older brother played by John Cusack. Yes, a very very young John Cusack. Yeah. Yeah. and his parents clearly favoured his bigger brother, mm-hmm. um, or his dad did at least. Yeah, yes, that's him. Then we've got uh, uh, River Phoenix. What was what was he about? He's so that's Chris. He's the yeah. He's a well. Will Wheaton plays Gordy. Um, mm-hmm. So Chris is Gordy's best friend, mm-hmm. and he's like from a bad family or something. Like his family's got a bad reputation, and mm-hmm. no one expects him to be anything but a bad kid. Mm-hmm. They're all in this kind of small, tiny little Midwestern American town where like everyone knows everyone. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's he's got this really bad reputation as, you know, but he's actually. But it's hard to see why because he seems like a really nice kid. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? Yeah, like a very like old soul. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's obviously carrying around a lot of kind of feelings of worthlessness and. Like, yeah, like he's doomed. He's, he keeps saying, on, he's never going to get out of this town and he's mm. he's never going to amount to anything because he's, that's all he's been told his entire life by mm. teachers and parents and everyone. They just say he's, he's just a bad kid. And, mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess that's his his thing. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, when you, when you talk about this film's plot, it sounds super depressing. Yes. yes I mean, yes. it is quite like sad, but it's not like, it's not that sad. Like, it's it's... It, it, yeah, it's not it's not an unhappy film. There's just no. unha- unhappy elements in this. Yeah, film. Yeah, when you talk about the plot, like on paper, it's super depressing. Mm. It's like here's like all oh, these kids are really sad. Yeah, I mean we've not even got to Corey Feldman yet. So. No, and <laughs> so Corey Feldman is a is a victim of domestic abuse. His dad pretty much burnt off his ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Corey Feldman's definitely a bit of a live wire. They say he's like the craziest kid they ever knew. Like he's obviously mm-hmm. 
got a bit of a death wish and he's just very big anger management issues just mm-hmm. you know very highly strong yeah. mm-hmm. um, and then we get to uh, Vern yeah who initially is sort of the butt of the jokes mm-hmm. for a few things but then it quickly turns out that that's the way that just the boys act in their group they're always just sort of you know picking on each other in, in different ways yeah they've got a dynamic yeah, yeah. and so Vern what's Vern's thing He's got. I would say he's got the least going on. Yeah, like he's just. Yeah, he's, just <laughs> he's, he's just a little bit awkward. He's scared of everything. Yeah, he's 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 um, the yeah. He's the token fat kid who's scared of everything. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Every group had one. Yeah. yeah. Teddy Duchamp was the craziest guy we hung around with. He didn't have much of a chance in life. His dad was given to fits of rage. One time he held Teddy's ear to a stove and almost burned it off. I knock. Before I pile of shit. Pile of shit has a thousand eyes. <laughs> what? Yeah, so that's that. And uh, one day they're all hanging out in the treehouse. Mm. Uh, Vern comes along, and uh, they're all smoking as well. Oh, there's lots of cigarettes in this film. I guess <laughs> yeah. it's the '50s and kids smoked. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's very noticeable in this film that all these yes. very young children. It's weird. Yeah, because also I'm, I'm looking at these people and like I I recognise Will Wheaton. I might recognise. I couldn't place where I knew everybody else from, but I sort of recognised them a little bit, and I was like, yeah. everybody looks really young in this. Oh my God, they're smoking. Yeah. <laughs> well, eight, why are they smoking? But they're also smoking like adults. Yeah. In a way. Like, it's yeah. not just like kids smoking, it's like they're, they're like, I don't know, the way they hold the cigarettes. and I, Yeah. I think it's a choice because they say like really stupid things like, oh, nothing like that first cigarette after dinner. Like They're obviously <laughs> emulating their parents or something, yeah, but yeah. It's, just, it's just so funny. It's a weird disconnect, mm. especially now in this day and age when it's very, very rare to see young kids smoking. So mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so then Vern comes in and uh, he's all excited and giddy because mm. he's heard that there's like a, there's a dead body washed up. Well, a dead body just by a train track. Yeah. Well, also, it's a kid they know. It's not just a random dead body. Okay, cool. It's a kid that's gone missing from the school that everyone's been looking for for several days. Mm-hmm. Not a friend of theirs particularly, it doesn't seem. No. But someone that they are aware of. So there was a lot of this that I didn't understand, because at this point, so how did Vern hear about it, and yet the whole thing is that they're getting to the body so that they can confirm it and then report it to the police? Well, he was underneath his house. Do you remember? Did you watch that scene? Oh, yes, yeah, so he heard about it. Sorry, I watched yeah. it a few days ago. There's so many flashbacks in this film. There's flashbacks so, within flashbacks. Yeah, 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 there's a lot. So Vern is underneath <laughs> his made, house. There's a made-up story at one point, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, it goes all over. So yeah, Vern is underneath his house truck trying to find his jar of pennies that he's, he's buried many months before. Mm-hmm. And his older brother and his older brother's friend are talking about how they found... They stumbled upon the kid's body, but they mm. don't want to... Tell anyone about it? Uh yeah, because they've like stolen a truck or something. That's it. They'd still, they they would and, enjoy so riding a they, car. They they just don't want police eyes looking at them. Yes. Yeah. So they're like, well, we found it, but we're not going to tell anyone. And then he mm. Vern overhears and rushes to tell mm-hmm. his friends. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's it. And so then uh, they all decide that they're going to go out and uh, find the body, mm-hmm. seemingly without saying goodbye to any of their parents. Mm-hmm. They all just get up and go. Well, they say that they're going to pretend that they're sleeping over each other's houses. You know, that the classic kid, you know. Okay, I think sure. they're away for maybe two, three days, like, you know. Yeah, but like, your parents were caught. Maybe they're not know those parents. I don't mm-hmm. know. No, none of them seem to have particularly attentive parents. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and so then they start on this uh, a couple of days track mm-hmm. along the train tracks for the entire film. Mm-hmm. To go and find this body, yeah. Yeah. So I knew that this film had bits of like them walking along train tracks because mm. I remember reading online when Strange Things season one had people walking on train tracks. Oh yeah. And it's like, oh, this is a nod to Stand by Me, and I was like, so in Stand by Me, there's a bit where kids walk on train tracks. It turns out that's the whole, that's that's, the whole movie. That's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's just a weird nothing thing, but oh no, it is a solid reference. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so they're getting a few scrapes along the way. Mm-hmm. There's a bit where they've got to cross a long bridge. Where... I think that's like maybe the iconic scene. Yeah. The bridge. That's the one that I think everyone remembers the scene when they're running away from the, the train. Yeah. And so that one, like it's a, it said, it's a bridge that's just as wide as a single train track. Yeah. And it's and going so, over like a, a long river, isn't it? Yeah. And so if they're, if, if, if a train were to come, they've, they've got nowhere that they could hide or anything mm-hmm. um, for safety. They would just have to get to the end of the track. Yeah. And this is like a ni- this is the 1950s, so it's old fashioned like steam trains. So mm. obviously, if this was the present day; it'd be a much shorter yeah. film. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they would be dead. There's more, there's more than one occasion on this film when a kid is almost hit by a train. Yeah, and it made me wonder: like, do did trains in the 1950s not have brakes? I know it takes a while for a train to like 
slow it, yeah, down. Yeah, stopping distance. But it seems right. like the trains just didn't even attempt to break. Mm. It's like, well, these kids are going to go out the way or they're going to die. Yeah. And given that a kid has been hit by a train not two days ago, you'd mm-hmm. think they'd be on high alert. Like, oh, guys, kids are getting hit by trains. Like, mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Got to get that coal to the minefield in time or something. I guess, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kids get hit, kids get hit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, well. So yeah, that's one scrape they get into. Another one, they have to cross a small stream, and it turns out it's much, much deeper than they expect. I got a big laugh out of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it was a nice moment when they're all just sort of playing around in the water. Yeah. My favourite part of this film when it was just the kids being kids. Yeah. Because sometimes there was a lot of them having like slightly too adult for their years conversations. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was nice when you could just see them. Is that the bit where someone says, to, is, is it when they're splashing each other and then one of them says, oh, act your age, and he goes... I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes, you're right, he is. You have to constantly be talking about your feelings all the time. You're 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, the Vicar of Dibley-esque moment when they step mm. into the water and it's like, obviously a good foot deeper than they thought it was going to be and they all fall in simultaneously. Did yeah. make me laugh quite a lot. Yeah, so that was good. And then that one finishes with Will Wheaton's in a headlock mm. by Vern and then Will Wheaton's like, there's something on your neck and... Turns out they're all, they're all covered in leeches. Oh, the leeches scene. Yeah. yeah. That, that was... That was great. I remember that when I watched it the first time, really. Mm. I mean, it, it's really good at tapping into things that kids would be scared of. and mm-hmm. I mean, there's, leeches in general are pretty gross. Mm. And also, getting bitten on the balls is pretty grim. And when they show the blood, and I remember that really upsetting me when, when mm-hmm. he pulls his hand out of his pants and it's covered in blood. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, no. Mm. Even watching it now, I, was, I had to look away a bit. I was like, oh, God, I forgot all this. So, yeah. Horrible. Yeah, and so, bring you the bits... Along their journey that, uh, that that I've missed? Uh, well, they're on the run from... What's his face? Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland, Who's yeah. a classic, Who's... Like, iconic 80s arsehole in this film. Yeah. Or 80s slash 50s. He's like, obviously, yeah, yeah. in the 50s, but yeah. Um, <laughs> blonde, 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 blonde hair and his constant toothpick in the side of his mouth. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was giving it like the full James Such Dean, a like. standard bully. It was, yeah. it was brilliant. <laughs> and again, just somebody else I really enjoy seeing that young version of them oh sure yeah I mean are you a big 24 fan did you watch it no but I, I watched a few episodes of Designated Survivor recently oh okay sure yeah mm. enough, yeah yeah so I don't know he was great he was yeah he, he, was, having, he was having the best time yeah he was <laughs> apparently I was reading up like trivia of this film apparently in order to create a realistic sense of fear on the film he genuinely bullied all of the kids for his entire time <laughs> great it was just horrible to them <laughs> Wild and arsehole. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he, he's like the head of this gang of like, I don't know, teddy boys or something? Or just like, just, just these like 50s, like older teenagers who seem to just enjoy picking on their younger brothers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's, there's a scene when they're all hanging around. I guess it's because they're all in small towns and like they're doing really things that are typical, like there's nothing to do. So like, there's a scene when they're all driving around playing uh, post box oh, yeah. baseball where they're yeah. knocking all the, ba- all the post boxes off of a baseball bat. And then there's another one where they're all just hanging around, just just carving, like, just self-harming together. Yes. <laughs> just just carving the word cobras into each other's, mm. I guess, in lieu of a tattoo parlour. But they're all going to get hepatitis, sharing that razor. Like, <laughs> mm, yeah. I don't yeah. think they're disinfecting it. Probably not, no. no. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't think they're the smartest people. Mm. Oh, clearly not. I mean, no. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. His character is pathetic. Mm. Like, he's bullying kids who are, like, five years younger than him. I bet mm. people his own age, apart from his mates, probably think he's a wanker like, yeah <laughs> you can tell you know. yeah it's weird to bully people that aren't your own age no I think that's always a sign of insecurity mm. yeah yeah uh, yeah. I would have liked to have seen more of like how the rest of the town viewed him because I bet I bet he wasn't popular but mm. yeah uh, but yeah so he's he's just a horrible bully basically but mm-hmm. at a certain point he decides to also go and find the body because his, his, it's his kind of gang members who have spotted the mm-hmm. body in the first place and then he decides that they're going to get it so it becomes a bit of a bit of a race and they all meet up at the end mm. yeah I'm wondering why does he actually want to be the person to find it? I guess because the same reason the kids do. Well, I wasn't clear on the plan. No. I guess they, they said they want like the glory. Like, this kid's gone missing. They want to be the ones who mm-hmm. find the missing kid. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what the plan, the, the little kid's plan was initially because they're like, oh, let's get a stretch. And I was like, you've been walking for three days. You're going <laughs> to carry a r- rapidly decomposing corpse for another three days? Like. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they decided not to do that. Yeah. And and I also, at the end, they have this big standoff where, like, they get the gun out and there's this mm-hmm. whole big sort of, sort of heroic moment against Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. And so he, Keith Sutherland then leaves, 
and he's like, this isn't over. I mean, the body's yours, but this isn't over. And I was like, so, <laughs> He does everything but shake his fist. Yeah, and I was like, so what does this mean? So now he's going to go and drive back to the town, mm-hmm. and he may as well just say there's a body there. Yeah. But, like, I mean, why? What's the advantage to him? What's the disadvantage to him? Mm-hmm. I do not know. And what are the kids going to do? What are the kids going to do about that? Because they've got a three-day walk to get back to town. True, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why he's a stupid character. This is why he's bullying 12-year-olds. He's an idiot. Like, I mean, the 12-year-olds are kind of idiots as well, because what's their plan? No, exactly. Walk out three days. Oh, yeah, it's there. Walk back three days, tell the police where it is, and then... Well, they just want to see a dead body. You know, they want, they want an adventure. They want to... I understood that. They want a kid's adventure. I guess, but like, but like, why are they doing it to sort of spite Kiefer Sutherland? I don't know. They weren't in the first place. They, in the first place, they just wanted to do it to see a dead body. Okay. But and then once they get there, they're like, well, we want to, you know, we're going to tell people about it. Mm. Yeah. There he is! I see him! Look! Look over there! I see him! I see him! None of us could breathe. Somewhere under those bushes was the rest of Ray Brower. The train had knocked Ray Brower out of his keds just like it had knocked the life out of his body. Jesus. The kid wasn't sick. The kid wasn't sleeping. The kid was dead. So I guess the other thing to talk about is the uh, the Barfarama scene. That is fantastic. <laughs> I just didn't expect it at all because like, they're all sitting around a campfire and someone's like, let's tell horror stories or mm-hmm. ghost stories. And well, it's like, will uh, Gordy tell us another story? Because he's the best storyteller. Yeah. He's off, he's and he's like, well, writer. it's not really a ghost story, but I'll tell you this story anyway. And it's mm-hmm. just ridiculous. <laughs> but it is the kind of story that, like, a 12-year-old would come up with. It's got yeah. all the things that kids, like, obsessed with. Oh, like, yeah, definitely. Body, you know, gross, gross-out stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. <laughs> and I just love that. I loved how, how cheap it looked. Oh, yeah. Like, when, whenever anybody was throwing up, there was very clearly just a pipe, like, behind their yeah, face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's basically, he basically they're, they're camping out around the fire and he tells this story about a really fat kid who gets picked on by all the town because of his weight. And so he decides to get revenge by entering a pie eating contest. Mm-hmm. And rather than trying to win, he drinks an entire bottle of castor oil before mm-hmm. he goes on there, like downs like seven or eight pies and then throws up all over his competitors and mm-hmm. then causes like a, this chain reaction where this entire like town hall, this yeah. fate thing, just they all just vomit on each other. It's, it's pretty funny. It's pretty yes. gross, but also pretty funny. <laughs> God, it's just weird. But it's also the exact sort of thing a 12-year-old would say. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's a really good, like, 12-year-olds. It reminds me of, like, a Roald Dahl kind of thing. Mm, it's, yeah, yeah. It's that time. exact kind of story that a 12-year-old would find really funny and would probably come up with if they were, like, a, a, a good storyteller at that age. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly, Bardess opened his mouth. And before Bill Travis knew it, he was covered with five pies worth of used blueberries. The women in the audience screamed. Boss man Bob Cormier took one look at Bill Travis and barfed on Principal Wiggins. Principal Wiggins barfed on a lumberjack that was sitting next to him. Mayor Grundy barfed on his wife's tits. But when the smell hit the crowd, that's when Lardass' plan really started to work. Girlfriends barfed on boyfriends. Kids barfed on their parents. A fat lady barfed in her purse. The Donnelly twins barfed on each other. And the women's auxiliary barfed all over the benevolent order of antelopes. And Lardass just sat back and enjoyed what he'd created. A complete and total barforama. They find the body of the kid, and then they decide, rather than carrying it home, which was always a bad idea, they mm. just tell the police or whatever about where the body is found, mm-hmm. and the kid is found, and he gets a burial or whatever. And then we get this kind of very sad little ending where he says, oh, yeah, and then we all drifted apart, we never saw each other again, and, yeah. all, and everyone but me had a really shit life. Um, well, I guess it's realistic. You don't always stay friends with the people you were friends with when you were 12. No. I certainly didn't. But he loses touch with uh, Vern and... Uh, Teddy quite mm-hmm. quickly. He says uh, Vern grows up and gets married. Teddy just has a horrible life. He has a lot of mental problems and he ends up in, spending some time in prison and doing odd jobs around the town. Mm-hmm. And then Chris and Gordy go to college together, but then they 
they drift apart and then Chris ends up getting stabbed to death. Yeah. Very bleak. Yeah. But this is all being narrated by Richard Dreyfus again at the end, who's typing it all out because he has become Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And he's typing out on this horrible, horrible green on black font. Is, like, isn't it? Was he typing? I can't remember if computers were like that in that period. But in the 80s. In yeah, the 80s. It, was, it was before like Microsoft or Apple. Sure, but was, was he typing it on MS-DOS? Like black on green? Like, what really fuck your eyes? For like writing long form, it's just what happens. You'd think you'd use a typewriter, but I guess it's I don't know. Anyway, basically, we find out that you know it, it, again, it's part of this whole kind of melancholy reflection on you know growing up and losing touch with your old friends, and mm-hmm. that kind of ends the film on a mm. slightly sad note. Yeah, mm. yeah, it, it's not it's not the happiest of endings. It's not really no. I mean, Will Wheaton grows up and has kids. He does, yeah. You know, no, he's playing with the kids in the garden. Sure. But, but he's also like, I never had friends again like I had back when I was 12. Mm. Fuck, does anybody? Yeah, yeah. Which I thought like, well... Yeah, I was, I was thinking about it and I was like, I'm still very much friends with the people I was friends with at 12. See, I'm not, but I don't feel like they were the best friends I ever made in my entire life. No, yeah, also that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I didn't peak at age 12. Yeah, I think people like tend to fetishise a certain age in their life and they're like, well, that was the best it's ever going to get. Mm. And like, for some people, that's when they were 12. For some people, that's when they were 20. For some people, that's when they were 18. I don't know. But clearly for Stephen King, it was when he was 12. As time went on, we saw less and less of Teddy and Vern until eventually they became just two more faces in the halls. It happens sometimes. Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant. I heard that Vern got married out of high school had four kids, and is now the forklift operator at the Arsenault Lumberyard. Teddy tried several times to get into the army, but his eyes and his ear kept him out. Last I'd heard, he'd spent some time in jail and was now doing odd jobs around Castle Rock. Chris did get out. He enrolled in the college courses with me, and although it was hard, he gutted it out like he always did. He went on to college and eventually became a lawyer. Last week, he entered a fast food restaurant. Just ahead of him, two men got into an argument. One of them pulled a knife. Chris, who had always made the best piece, tried to break it up. He was stabbed in the throat. He died almost instantly. So that's that's Stand By Me. Uh, mm-hmm. Should we move on to a drinking game? Yeah. So the first one I've got is Drink For Insults. Oh, there's some good creative swearing in this, isn't there? That's great, result. isn't it? I like it when the fat guy in the junkyard is insulting Teddy's dad and he proper throws a fit and he screams, I'm going to rip off your head and shit down your neck. Yeah. I'm like, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, kid. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a favourite insult? Uh, one of the good ones. Uh, it's not really an insult, but just Teddy, when he exclaims at one point, he says, Jesus hates bald-headed Christ. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Yeah. Lots of insulting of people's various mothers and, yeah. Mm. Oh, another one. Uh, somebody says bullshit and then uh, Chris says bull true. <laughs> That's almost, oh my God, Zilla. Yeah. yeah it is. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Yeah. What, oh, oh God, what does he say to Kiefer Sutherland at the end? What does Gordy say when he's pulling the gun at Kiefer Sutherland? It's something like... Suck my fat one, you yeah. low, you low rent teddy boy. Or there's some. I'll find the audio clip of it, but it, it was it was a good burn. <laughs> yeah, got it. Oh, uh, I got it. Uh, suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. That's it. You cheap dime store hood. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh, another one. Um, this isn't funny. What am I supposed to eat? And then, what, why don't you cook your dick? Maybe a small meal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were, yeah, they were zinging. They were, these great. kids could have had a good career in stand-up comedy or something later on. They, they had some zingers left, right, and centre. <laughs> this, okay, this isn't an insult, but it doesn't fit into any drinking games, and I forgot to mention it. <laughs> One of my favourite little details in this film is that Vern, mm-hmm. the fat kid Jerry O'Connell, they all forget to bring food. And then he's like, well, why, didn't you, why did you forget to bring any food? He's like, I brought a comb. Yeah. And they're like, for what? You don't have any hair. And he's like, for you guys. <laughs> I just love that detail. Oh. Yeah, like, like he thought to bring a comb because his friends wanted to comb their hair. Like, what a, what a brilliant, bizarre little detail. I loved that. <laughs> and then he drops his comb and it's so sad because it's like, oh, well, no, I've got nothing to comb the hair now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I think that's... Uh... That's that one. Okay. So I had drink for cigarettes. Yeah. We've talked about it. It happens a lot. Yeah. 
Uh, drink for trains. Oh yes, every time a train goes by, mm. there's a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Drink for singing, musical moments. Great. It's a, it's a good soundtrack. This film it really is. Lots yeah. Of good, lots of the kids singing along to their favorite like pop songs and also like TV show themes and stuff. It's, mm. it's good. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, drink for weird handshakes. Oh yes. There's well, a lot of sort of stroking each other's hands, which I always have found creepy. What kids stroking? What like? Do you mean like the secret handshakes that kids do? Like, well, like a secret handshake, you know, where you're doing like a couple of high fives and you know you kick each other or whatever handshake is. <laughs> kick each other. What kind of secret handshakes did you have? Weird ones. Okay. But when you're just sort of like, you know, one person holds a hand like the other person just strokes it. It's like it's just weird. I don't like it. Okay. No. Well, do you mean like when they're comforting each other? No, like one person holds a hand out mm. and then. I mean, I can only imitate it to you. I can't imitate it to the listeners. Well, show me. It still won't work for the li- like. When I do that, oh, is it as in like? So is it like a sign of agreement? Is like, it's just a weird secret handshake they have. Oh, okay. It's, so it's, it's not during the sad moments when they're like being no, no, no. nice to each other. It's just oh, okay. No, it's like okay. It's like a gentle high five. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. yeah. It's like a high five that's more of a stroke. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nobody wants a weak high five. I guess not. No. no okay. Anyway. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> learn some stuff about you. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Drink every time the children get oddly reflective. You know, when they're talking about, like, oh, I guess we'll never be friends again after this summer. Like, just... mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, drink whenever Teddy pretends he's in a battlefield. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, that leads on to my next drinking game, which is drink every time a kid has a clear death wish. Yeah. It's just Teddy, though, isn't it? Mm, it's a lot of Teddy. Teddy has definitely has a bit of a death wish because he, he's... There's a whole scene where he's like wanted to dodge the train and mm. they have to drag him off the tracks. But also Kiefer Sutherland does it as well when they're driving. Oh yeah, they're driving that like drag race with the two cars. Yeah, and there's a there's a lorry lorry coming yeah. in the opposite direction and they've taken up both lanes mm. and he basically plays chicken with the lorry and the lorry ends up like swerving off the road but he fully doesn't blink first. Mm. Like, yeah, just, these these kids are just bored and just trying to kill themselves. It's, I guess yeah. Mm. That's what you get for small towns. Yeah, I guess. Um, okay, so drink whenever someone tries to balance on the train tracks. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of that, just little bits here and there. Oh, yeah, just just the classic train track walk. You know, yeah. The, yeah, one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Uh, I think that's all I've got. We've done singing, cigarettes, trains, reflective, mm-hmm. creative swearing. Yeah, that's all. Last one I've got is drink whenever Vern is scared. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's... That, that's that happened, much... happened throughout, but... That's, that's, a, that's a bit of, might be a bit of a waterfalling situation, but yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool, okay, so that's that. Uh, before we get on to our sequels, listeners, um, if you've enjoyed this episode and you have enjoyed any previous ones, then maybe you would consider supporting us on Patreon.com. Mm. If you go there, Patreon.com slash set, you can support us for as much or as little as you like per month, mm-hmm. and by doing so, you get a few bonus features. Bonus features including a show called Beyond Beyond the Box Set, which once a week we review cinema releases, mm-hmm. so two episodes a week instead of one from mm-hmm. Beyond the Box Set, sounds pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. The bonus episode is a movie review, not a like sequel pitching kind of thing. Though we just talk about films at the cinema, yeah, which is great. It's just yeah. something different. But when I'm not going to pitch a sequel to Avengers Endgame, there's already no, you know, there's, there's millions. The internet is full of them. There's, yeah. there's, there's going to be millions. Yes. Will they ever stop? Who knows? I hope not. <laughs> uh, uh, also, if you become a Patreon, you get to uh, have a thirty second advert slot mm-hmm. on the main show. Yeah, uh, once a month, where you can advertise anything you want. It can be your own podcast, your own business. Whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. And I will take this opportunity to promote one of our patrons, which is a guy called Daniel Tickner, who has a podcast called The Aussie Nerd Podcast. Mm-hmm. At Aussie Nerds Pod on Twitter, or just search Aussie Nerds on iTunes or any good podcasting platforms. I believe we both guested on his show. Mm-hmm. He just talks to people about their favourite films and gets into some really good conversations. He's also guested on this show. He is on our episode on, uh, was it Wolf Children? Is that what it was called? Yes. The, yes. the Japanese anime? Yeah. Lovely film. Lovely film. Uh, that was part of our Halloween season for 2018. Uh, I'm sure we'll have him on again at some point in the future. But yeah, so check that out. Aussie Nerd Podcast. It's very good. Mm. And thank right. you, Daniel, for your continued support. <laughs> and finally, uh, once a month, we, we do a Patreon episode where mm-hmm. we invite Patreon to uh, choose the film. And if they want to, they can guest on it as well. Yeah. Uh, you can guest over Skype. You can come in in person. It's up to you. But whatever, we'll do... Uh, we'll, we'll do the film you choose yeah so. also if you don't want to come on you can still choose a film for us to do yeah we'll, we'll just do it, do it anyway we'll just do it instead yeah so yeah. if you're a little bit podcast shy that's absolutely fine mm-hmm. uh, that's that so all that's available at patreon.com slash beyond the box set indeed now 
John, your sequel. My sequel, okay. What have you got? So, yep, I've come up with a fairly standard sequel this week. Just a classic follow-up. So mine is called Stand By Me 2 The Sign, Mm -hmm. for reasons that I will explain as we go on. Is it a do not cross sign on a railroad? No. Is it do not walk on the train tracks, danger of death? Do not cross this bridge. This is a train bridge. Look for your own bridge, you you bloody pedestrian. Is that that what the sign says? You're not going to get it. Okay. Um, is it do not cross this river, there's leeches? No. Uh, watch out, there's a dead body down here, don't go down here, Keep a Sutherland will stab you. You're not even close. I'll just have to wait and see when I... You'll have to wait and see, yeah. Mm. Anyway, so, the original film was obviously set, well, it was set in the 1950s, 50s? Yeah. 1959, mm-hmm. the action was, but it was narrated from like 1986 or something. Sure. When we had Richard Dreyfus as the adult Will Wheaton. Now, as we all know, Will Wheaton grew up to look nothing like Richard Dreyfus. He grew up to look like Will Wheaton. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to bring Richard he Dreyfus. Looks very back. much like himself, doesn't he? Indeed, yeah. They did do a great job of casting an adult who looked like they would grow up to be that child. Mm. Nothing like whatsoever. But yeah. whatever. Is there anybody you, you can think of who would have been good for that? To play an older Will Wheaton? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Will Wheaton today looks. It's, it's difficult, actually, because the only people can think of are just people who look like Will Wheaton right now. Yeah, which would work, but yeah. oh, 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 well, then it would have been 20 years ago, so maybe not. No. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, nah, moving on. this film is set in the year 1992. Okay. So roughly, yeah, roughly 33 years sure. since the events of the original, which took place in 1959. What do you mean roughly 33? It's a very specific number. No, sorry, it is, sorry, it is R- specifically 33. Roughly a very specific number. <laughs> okay, sorry, yes, I, I did work it out. It's 33 years. So, because the film came out in 1986, which I know is 33 years ago, because I'm 33 years old and I was born in 1986. So Great. That's very easy maths for me. Good maths, John. Good yes. maths. Uh, so this film's set in 1992, which is 33 years after 1959. Glad we got that covered. Okay, sorry. So basically, we've got <laughs> middle. We've got middle-aged Will Wheaton. He's in his mid 40s. He's yeah. About the age Will Wheaton is in in the real world, right? Yeah. Now. The year is 1992. So Gordy, the Will Wheaton character, has grown up to become a successful writer of horror fiction, mm-hmm. much like Stephen King, mm-hmm. since this story is obviously based heavily on Stephen King's own childhood. Mm-hmm. Before we continue that and make this one about his adulthood. Great. So he's now in his mid-40s. He's married with kids. However, he's going through a bit of a rough patch with his writing. He's suffering from major, a major case of writer's block, and he's under severe pressure from his publisher to deliver his next novel. Mm-hmm. Also, his famously prolific writing regime means he spends all of his days locked in his office writing and brainstorming, and he's become very distant from his family, particularly mm. his 12-year-old son, Joe, who also wants to be a writer and craves his father's approval. Mm. So he spends all his time locked in his room and he doesn't really spend a lot of time with his kids. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Now, Joe, his son, is a very sensitive kid, much like young Will Wheaton was in the original, mm-hmm. who spends a lot of time hanging out in the woods with his friends, singing along to the hit songs of the day, which are mostly by the band Ace of Bass mm-hmm. since it's 1992. And they were the most popular band of 1992. Yeah. And that's why we have the title, The Sign. Because uh, okay. uh, one of the... I know you don't know this, because you don't know anything about music and that wasn't directly related to you. But, um, yeah, the biggest of bass hit is, I saw the sign and it opened up my mind. So I just thought it'd be funny to have, like, because this film was so musical, full of, like, 50s, you know, mm-hmm. classic 50s tunes, like Stand By Me and Lollipop and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I thought it'd be fun to have a version of this film that's just set in, like, the mid-90s with just, like, 90s pop. You know... Playing to my strengths. Should have predicted this. Yeah. Anyways, that's why it's called the sign. <laughs> that doesn't really matter though. So yeah. So <laughs> just one as a crowbar. There. Is it? Is it some? Is it again a title that's just not really relevant to the film at all? Well, you could probably. The sign is kind of a generic kind of. You could f- find other justifications for that title, but that's okay. what mostly that's what I've gone with. Okay, because I've done a similar thing, but I've also tried to make it as relevant as possible to the film okay. while also still being. A song that people will recognise. Oh, okay, sure. Well, that's the thing. Like, Stand By Me, the song, is in the film, but mm. not necessarily, as we discussed, not necessarily the most obvious title for this for the original film. Mm. So I feel like the sign is fine. Yeah. Didn't mean to rhyme that then. just happened. Anyway. <laughs> Don't look at me like Keep that. rhyming. Keep, no. Uh, rap! I'll be telling this plot for the medium of gangster rap. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, so he's got... So Stephen King slash Gordy's got this kid... He was a sensitive soul who hangs out in the woods with his mates, much like his dad did back in the day, but mm-hmm. they don't have a very good relationship. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, as Gordy is struggling to come up with a story idea, the stress of his writer's block leads into bouts of heavy drinking, and he ends up one night in some downtown dive bar, like, drowning his sorrows. Uh, and as he's stumbling home from this night of drinking, 
he is attacked by a group of, a group of thugs, beaten up and left for dead. Mm-hmm. As he lies in a daze, a shadowy figure approaches him and drags him to the side of the road to safety and cradles his head protectively. Through his blurred vision, because he's you know, been beaten up a lot, he sees that the man is his long-dead brother, Denny, played mm-hmm. by John Cusack. Oh. Mm, I'm bringing that plot back in. Okay. Mm. So, before he can say anything, he blacks out. Mm-hmm. When he comes to, the man is gone. So he staggers home, and as he's recovering from his injuries, he becomes obsessed with the fact that his brother might still be alive. I'm getting flashbacks right now to a very early episode of ours when you did a very similar thing for the Titanic. Did cross my mind, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not in, it's not exactly the same. No, no, no. Yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah, it, it's yeah that that not entirely dissimilar. Mm-hmm. No, I was just thinking like one of the main points of this film is that it's the story of the first time he ever sees a body. Because mm. he says that I remember the first time I ever saw a dead body, it was on the summer of 1959. That's mm-hmm. part of the narration at the start. Which means he can't have seen his own brother's body. Mm, so that yes. means his brother really dead. Uh, so that was okay, my okay. that was my jumping off point. You yeah. Mm. That's a good little chink in the armour that you're yeah. scraping open somehow. I am. Crowbarring that open. Yeah. Yeah, so that he becomes obsessed with this theory that his brother might still be alive after all these years. Mm-hmm. Obviously, nobody believes him because mm. he was drunk. He was disoriented from the beating. And his wife and his friends just say, well, it was probably just some well-meaning stranger who didn't want to get involved. He mm-hmm. just, you know, pulled you out of the middle of the road, made sure you weren't going to die, and then left you to wake yourself up. Mm-hmm. But he just, he's convinced. He's fully convinced. So as he goes about his, his life over the next few weeks, he starts catching glimpses of his brother everywhere. And I, this is very similar to my Titanic story. <laughs> Listeners, episode one. It's... 120 episodes ago, I've earned the right to read <laughs> But yeah, he keeps seeing like shadowy glimpses. Like he'll, see a, he'll pass a stranger in the street and he'll catch a glimpse of his brother and then he'll do a double take it, not him. It's that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Anyway, so as his obsession grows, he starts investigating his brother's accident back in the 1950s. Because in the original film, it's said that the John Cusack character, the older brother, died in a car accident, in mm. a Jeep accident. So mm-hmm. it was kind of quite, quite vague what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And he remembers that he never actually saw the body. So could it be that his brother maybe faked his own death mm-hmm. back in the 1950s? Both of his parents are now long dead, so they can't confirm or deny anything. Uh, so he travels back to his hometown of Castle Rock, the setting of the original film, mm-hmm. to do some more research. While he's there, he reconnects with Teddy and Vern, who still live in the town. Thought that'd be a good opportunity for a cast reunion. We can't have River Phoenix, sadly, because he died. And the character died as well. Well, the character also died, so both, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, weird thing about this film is that the actors, all, their, their careers all very much echoed what happened to their characters in kind of quite a sad way. It's very weird. Yeah, Will Wheaton kind of did all right, grew up, wrote some books, obviously also started Stephen TV. King should have written better things for them then. Yeah, he did. Well, in the And book, they all lived happily ever after. Well, in the book that this film was based on, they all die apart from his character. Oh, right. So actually, Corey Feldman and Jerry O'Connell oh, should they, be thanking him. Yeah, they got out lucky. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so Will Wheaton uh, obviously grew up and mostly is well known as an actor, but he also wrote a bu- he's written a bunch of novels, so he basically lived the life of his character in many ways. Mm-hmm. R- River Phoenix died young of a, of a drug overdose, not being stabbed, but still. He died at the age of like 21. Mm. Jerry O'Connell seems fine. Um, <laughs> and Corey Feldman is very troubled, sadly. He's like mm. one, a classic burned-out child star. Mm. Spent some time with Michael Jackson when, when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of... Yeah, he's had a hard life, bless mm-hmm. him. Anyway... So, in this story, he reconnects with Teddy and Vern, who still live in the town. Vern has lost a lot of weight and married the hottest woman in Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because Jerry O'Connell is no longer fat and is married to Rebecca Romaine, mm-hmm. who played Mystique in the X-Men movies oh, before Jennifer Lawrence took the role. Great. So, just thought I'd put that out there. Yeah. And also, Teddy is still kind of a mess. So, yeah, he's, he is still a bit of a burnout and uh, having a lot of problems. But the three of them all get together and they reminisce about Chris the River Phoenix character. Mm-hmm. And although they're a bit sceptical, they agree to help Gordy out in his attempt to find the truth. Mm-hmm. So first of all, they look for the police report on the original accident that supposedly killed Gordy's brother. Uh, unfortunately, the chief of police is now Ace Merrill, the Kiefer Sutherland character, mm. who is just as obnoxious and unhelpful as he ever was. <laughs> uh, long story short, they come up against a variety of like dead ends trying to investigate what happened, and they get roadblocked every single way. But Gordy just cannot let it go. So eventually he decides the only way to know for sure if his brother is dead is to dig up his grave. Wow, okay. Mm, it's getting dark. So Vern and Teddy are like, man, that's dark, but he will not be dissuaded. So we're going to have a classic Stephen King horror movie scene of like a graveyard at night, thunder, rain, lightning, and Will Wheaton just digging up a grave, mm-hmm. 
So he does that, he gets six feet down, he finds the coffin, he pulls it up, and he's just about to open it and find out the truth, when from behind him, a small voice cries out, Dad? He turns around and sees his son Joe standing at the side of the grave. Mm -hmm. And his son says, Dad, what are you doing? And he's suddenly shocked back to his senses, and Gordy asks Joe what he's doing here. And Joe explains that he came to find him because he was so worried about him because he disappeared after he got beaten up. Mm -hmm. So along with his friends, Joe has actually travelled all the way across the state to his dad's old hometown to try and save his dad, basically. Mm. And that adventure that they go on across state, you know, kids hitchhiking across state, is Mm -hmm. going to be the plot of Stand By Me Free, which we're not going to cover here, but I'm just putting it out there in case we want to do another one. So that'd be more of a remake of the original, but in like a 90s setting. Yeah. So them travelling across the state, you know, classic road trip movie Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. young kids. Bit of hitchhiking, maybe. True. Sure, yeah. Bit of walking along railway lines, you know. Yeah, that works. I don't know if there were still railway lines that were that safe to walk along in the 1990s. I mean, when has there ever been a safe railway line? Well, relatively, like compared to the ones in the 50s. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, so Joe tells this story about how he's come to try and find his dad. So Gordy jumps out of the grave, hugs his son, and realizes that he's been behaving like a crazy person. So without opening the coffin, he tosses the shovel aside, tells his son that he loves him, and promises that he's going to be a better father from now on. Mm hmm. The two of them walk away hand in hand, and Gordy wonders whether maybe this is the reason the ghost of his brother came back in the first place, to help prevent him from making the same mistakes that his own father made by mm-hmm. neglecting his son. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the end, but of course, it's a Stephen King movie, so we have to end on a jump scare. Mm-hmm. So we're going to end with a clo- as they walk away hand in hand, father and son, into the woods, or away from the graveyard. We're going to ha- cut to a close-up of the coffin that you left behind without ever opening, mm-hmm. and a hand is going to burst through the wood, <laughs> and then credits roll. <laughs> and that is the end of uh, yeah Stand By Me 2 all that she wants no not all that she wants that's the Eraser based song Stand By Me 2 <laughs> the sign <laughs> uh, yeah sure well okay interesting yeah very good I think that's, I think that's something yeah it totally is mm-hmm. um, okay right well let's see what I've got here sure so mine um, is a remake oh okay um, it's called Stand By Me well I was going to call it Stand By Me 2 which doesn't make sense Okay, it's called something else. It's called Go Your Own Way. Oh, like the Flute Max song? Yeah. Oh, nice, okay. Which, oh, you said you wanted to choose a song, and that works. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's a little bit more appropriate. It's talking about more of a journey. It's kind of the opposite of Stand By Me. It's like, I'm, fuck you, I'm going to do it on my own. I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe. Okay. Maybe it's not that good then. <laughs> Sorry. Whatever. So, uh, this one we're going to introduce to a group of four friends, mm-hmm. um, who uh, I didn't mean to, but uh, they're, they're all girls. Oh, okay, you've done a gender swap remake. I, I didn't mean to, I just... Hey, no, it's good. Um, I, I mean, there are no women I, in this film. I know, I, I wanted to do a mixture, but uh-huh. the only male actor of about that age that I can think of is Jacob Tremblay, and I just can't be asked. Fair enough, fine. This feels like a much better cast. Oh, great, I'm excited. So, yeah, four girls at the early end of teenagehood. Okay. First up is uh, Elsie, who's going to be played by Elsie Fisher from 8th grade. Oh, nice, good. Um, told you I'd start using her. Good. Yeah, no, as you should. She was great. I, I look forward to seeing her in more things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so she's going to be a bit of a nerdy kid who doesn't really fit in with the normal crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, she lives with her mum, who spends most of her time committed to her job and not very much time being a mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is she our Will Wheaton type, then? No. Well, I, it, I'm not really sort of redoing the same four characters. I'm just oh, kind okay, of doing fine. four new characters. There's similarities, definitely. Sure, but, okay, um, Yeah. Next up is Millie with a Y, who's Millie Shapiro, Hereditary. Oh, yeah, that girl, that creepy girl. Okay, yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, she's going to be a very quiet character. Of course. Um, not very outgoing, quite passive. Uh, she lives with both her parents, and it's heavily implied that she is a long-term victim of domestic abuse. Oh, no, okay. Next up is Daphne Keane mm-hmm. from Logan. Oh, yes, that girl from Logan, yes. Mm-hmm. I remember, yeah, okay. Yeah. She is going to be, I guess, kind of the uh, the Corey Feldman character. She's kind of obsessed with the military. Everything is a war zone to her, and it's probably handed down from her father, who has PTSD from, I don't know, some kind of war. Okay. I've not actually specified a time that this is set. Sure. Some films don't need, don't no, need it that. Be, it can, sure, be, it can, be, it can be any time in America, yeah. Yeah. And then finally, we have our main character, uh, another Millie, who is Millie Bobby Brown. Of course. I, I was waiting for her to show up. Yeah. I, I, I felt like this, this kind of needed a big tie-in to just be like, hey, this is going to be kids on an adventure sort of thing. Sure. Millie sure. Bobby Brown is the one who's kind of known for that at the moment. Of course, yeah. Yeah. This is where I was kind of going to be like, what, Jacob Tremblay or Millie Bobby Brown? I think who, made the right who, Who's more interesting here yeah, for, yeah. for this? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and so she's going to be mostly unhappy for the, for the majority of the film. She's really struggling because as the film starts... It's her and her parents in a car. 
which crashes due to her distraction with her parents, and both her parents are killed. Oh, like the start of uh, Last Phoenix, Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Is, yeah. So is she distracting with psychic powers or just no, no, no just power, by being a little yeah, girl? Yeah, just a little girl. Yeah, there's no powers or anything. Oh, okay. So it's not like Dark Phoenix. Okay, yeah. so she's just a little I'd girl. Say, I'd say it's more like Jessica Jones, which I guess the same thing happened. Oh, sure. So it's she's no just, fault of her own. She just distracts them and a car accident happens and she's the only survivor. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. So yeah, the story starts. Uh, Elsie, she joins up with the girls hanging out somewhere, I guess. A treehouse, that works. Sure, yeah. Whatever. In the back of Daphne's garden. Mm-hmm. Elsie's all giddy because she's heard about a dead body somewhere out in the woods uh, along the river. And she asks if anyone wants to come and see it. And they all jump up at the opportunity because they're all bored. There's nothing to do. It's the summer holidays. Okay. They, they don't really know what to do. Would, would, I'm, I'm wondering if... Like, or another reason why they want to go see a dead body. want to go and see a dead body. Yeah, the boys seem to really like it. Yeah, that's right. it feels like a boy. I mean, not to be not to gender stereotype. Maybe I don't know. I feel like it'd be a short movie. The girls would be like, ew, no, and that end of film. <laughs> but we'll go with it. It's fine. Well, I mean, they're all, you know, they're not they're not Instagrammers. No, no, sure, yeah. They're all, you know, just a, a, bit, a bit weird. Okay, that's fair. Okay. Probably bullied in school, and I guess bullied at home, and they're all just like, oh my god, something to do. Sure, that, sure. That sure. means that we can get away from everything for a few days. Okay, sure. So they're going on a they're much like the original. They're going to go on a bit of a trek. Yeah. Okay. So they climb out the tree, uh, waiting for the bottom, is Daphne's older brother, oh. um, who I've really struggled to cast. I need somebody who can still be an older brother, but living at home, and I don't know who that could be. Is he going to be like a bully? Yeah, bully, yeah. I can think of people that age that could play that, but they just, like, Tom Holland isn't a bully. No, I mean, I'd like to see him, like, against type as a bully, but yeah. no, probably not. Like... Steve from Stranger Things. I mean, it's digging from a lot of the Stranger Things wells, but I can't think of. Mm. Like the other person I thought of, also a bad choice, was Timothy Chalamet. Mm. Again, I can't think see him as a bullet. I mean, no. Lucas Hedges maybe. I mean, he's, he's they're both getting a bit old now. They're both like in their mid twenties now. Like you know, Timothy Chalamet is not. Is he not? No, I looked him up. But okay. Lucas Hedges, yeah, maybe he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tom Holland's twenty-two. He could still play. Yeah. Yeah, but. Tom Holland has range. I believe in him. Yeah, let's see what he can do. Yeah, let's cast him as a bully. I mean, he, cast him against type. He'll have fun with it. Yeah, he's not supposed to be the most confident bully. Okay, like, sure. He, he's, not, he's not being Kiefer Sutherland well, evil. Thing. I can imagine Tom Holland as the kind of bully who bullies teenage girls. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's his choice of victim. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, okay. Sure, okay, so Tom Holland. Is um, a really bitchy bully. Sure, I've not I've not really written much bitchiness into this, but okay, definitely, fine. yeah, that, that, that's good. Yeah, so he was eavesdropping on them, mm-hmm. and uh, he says, so what are you girls up to? You know that finding a dead body isn't going to be good for Millie, you know, with her parents getting mangled up recently. Getting what? Mangled up recently. Oh, gosh. Uh, really, you oh, should, of course, the car accident. Really, you should let someone who can handle it, handle it. Okay. And then Daphne replies, what, someone like you? I doubt that you could handle the sight of even your own blood. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, and you, and you could? He then gets his knife out threateningly, Ooh. wraps his hand around the blade, and slices his hand. He doesn't make a noise, but he doesn't say anything either. Uh-huh. He's clearly in a lot of pain and has not thought this through. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the more I think about it, the more I like. I like this for Tom Holland. Yes, yeah, so then Millie with Nye, who is Millie Boyd Brown. That's how I'm going to refer to her now. There's two okay. Millies in this. You've made this more complicated than you needed to. It'll be all right. All right fine. Millie with Nye says, "Wow, so manly. Hmm. <laughs> uh, come on, girls, let's go." Uh huh. And so they all go off on our adventure, and instead of a train track, um, this one's going to be walking along a river. Oh, nice, okay. Still Very peaceful. Make, just make it different, in a sure. way. They know it's going to take them, you know, a few days, and so they're all, they've, they've got a few things with them, you know, tents and, well, not tents, but like sleeping bags and stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some good character moments, uh, maybe even a ghost story. Oh, okay. Um, involving a county fair, an oversized vegetable, maybe a loose rabbit. <laughs> what? Make of that what you will. A county for an oversized vegetable and a loose rabbit. Okay. Just think of a story in your head that might involve any of those things, and just whatever that is, that's what was told. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, quite early on the hike, uh, while they're out foraging, uh, Millie with a Y hears a rustling in the trees around her. <laughs> <laughs> Millie with a Y thing is just too much. Like. Well, well, I mean, if that's what their names were, like say the character names, that's probably how they might refer no, to they each other. No, they yeah. Um, I keep I keep wanting to go again. This, this is going to over your head. I keep wanting to go up to lies with a Z, not least with an S, because lies with a Z goes nuts. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? So uh, Liza Minnelli had a song about how to lies and not Lisa. Uh, okay, cool. Lies with a Z, not least with an S, because <laughs> lies with a Z goes nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now listen. 
It's Liza with a Z, not Lisa with an S, cause Lisa with an S goes snuds. It's Z instead of S, Lisa instead of Lee, simple as can be, see Liza. I do it again. It's Liza with a Z, not Lisa with an S, cause Lisa with an S goes snuds. It's Z instead of S, Lisa instead of Lee, simple as can be, see Liza. Uh, so Millie with a Y hears a rustling in the trees around her, and she gets a little scared, mm-hmm. but it turns out it's a it's a lease. She uh, I'll see, sorry. Um she pops her head out from a bush and shouts, Boo! Um yeah, scares her, good prank or whatever, I don't know. It's a funny moment. Uh but then there's more rustling in the opposite direction. And so then Millie with a Y says, Uh yeah, uh Elsie, very funny. We're well, not scared. But then a wild boar jumps out um, of the bushes and runs towards them and so starts chasing them. Uh-huh. Scary. Mm. They run away, but it's faster than they are, it's gonna catch them up. But the last moment, there's a loud bang. The girls stop and turn around. The boar is dead. And Daphne can be seen holding a gun. Oh, no. And so then Millie with an IE comes running. Says, I heard a gunshot. Is everyone okay? Daphne, why do you have a gun? And Daphne says, well, you never know. Hmm? Which is fair. She's a loose cannon, clearly. Yeah. yeah. And so then we hard cut to Daphne and Elsie having uh, just made a fire and are now roasting wild boar for dinner. Oh, wow. Well. Uh, <laughs> Wow, what a carnivorous plot twist for, from the vegetarian here. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, they carry on the next day. First of all, they have to cross the river in, in what appears to be a shallow area, mm-hmm. but it's much deeper than expected. Of course, of course. Of course yeah. it is. And it's a retelling of the leech's scene um, completely, ending in Elsie fainting when she pulls a leech off her neck to reveal a significant amount of blood. Oh, no. Mm. Uh, Millie cleans her wounds, as unfortunately she's well accustomed to dealing with her own injuries as well as her mother's injuries. Oh, okay. And they carry on for a bit. Elsie's struggling a bit, but, you know, they're going to push on. Struggling from the loss of blood? Yeah, and just sort of general being out in, as far as you can tell, the jungle. Oh, okay, sure. After a while, the river goes into more of a gorge, and so they need to climb high to carry on. And uh, the the side that they pick actually becomes impassable, and so they have to cross the river again. But it's a gorge, so they have to cross over a fallen tree as a bridge. Mm -hmm. Uh, Millie, Daphne, and uh, the other Millie, they make it across. But Elsie, who goes last, is still recovering from her leech's injuries and she loses her grip and falls into the river. Oh no. It's only a few metres, but she's not a very good swimmer. Mm. Um, she flails about until Millie, with an IE this time, uh, jumps in after her and rescues her. Oh they, my god. They all meet again at the end of the gorge, uh, where there's a road bridge overhead. They climb out of the water, and all four of them have a lie down uh, at the side of the river because they're all worn out. It's mm-hmm. been quite stressful for them. A couple of them have nearly died. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, well, well, what have we here? A bunch of girls, barely surviving out in the wild. How's it going, everyone? Still alive? Hey, Millie, how's the parents? Obviously, it's Tom Holland. Oh, what a bitch. How's the parents? <laughs> what a horrible thing to say. He's not a very nice person. Okay. What's his look for this role? Tattoos. Tat- oh, press on tattoos. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, banded around the hand right now. Okay. I would quite like to go with blonde. Yeah, I'd like to see him with like peroxide, like bad peroxide blonde hair. Yeah. yeah. Um, are we saying like gelled spikes as well? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just mm. really lean into yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like maybe it's set in the nineties. Who knows? Yeah. Or maybe it's set another time, but he's stuck in the nineties. Yeah, <laughs> oh. that works. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, he's not a very respectable character. Sure. Yeah. So the girls are very out of breath. They can't really talk and reply. It's Tom Holland carries on. He says, "It's a shame you came all this way, only for me to beat you to it." And it turns out the body is just over there. Now, I'm going to have all the glory, he says, while pulling a knife out on them. The girls stand up. Millie with Nae, Elsie, and Millie with a Y all put their hands up, but Daphne gets the gun out and points it at her big brother. He says, what are you doing with Dad's gun? He'll kill you if he finds out you've got it. And she says, yeah, well, he probably won't be best pleased uh, with you when he finds out that you've been threatening me and my friends with a knife. Now leave, or I'm going to shoot you in the foot and tell Dad that you did it to yourself. Mm. He says, well, he wouldn't believe you, and I don't think that you can shoot your own brother. You've not got the balls. At this point, Millie grabs the gun off Daphne and steps up. So she's not really said much throughout the film. Millie mm. with why this is. Is that hereditary, Millie? Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe she won't, but I will. And she shoots at his feet. The bullet hits directly between his feet. It doesn't actually hit him, uh-huh. but it's more than enough to scare him away. He oh, runs away classic. crying. Does he wet himself? I would say he wets himself, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, all four of the girls have a hug. And, uh, <laughs> what? It's an emotional scene. Oh, sure, sure, sure. It's like, <laughs> it's like that immediate group, group hug. Yeah. Yeah, he, he pisses himself and runs off crying. They're like, oh, let's hug it out, girls. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, high fives? What, what, no, what, hug what is fine. Want? They can hug it. Yeah. 
The only thing left to do now is to go and see the body. Oh, sure, yeah. I'd forgot there was a body. Crux of the film. So they walk over, and this is when we get the twist. Oh, okay. Each of the girls sees their own body there. <gasps> Ooh, supernatural. So Elsie sees herself drowned in the river, covered in leeches. Okay. Millie with a Y sees herself mauled to death by a ball. Mm-hmm. Daphne sees herself with his brother's knife in her chest. Oh, God. Millie with Nye sees herself all mangled and broken with part of a seatbelt wrapped around her. Gosh, this is dark. The end. That's it. Oh, wow. So what does that mean? I don't know. What do you think it means? <gasps> Who knows? Oh, okay. So is, is it assessing up like a... No. That's no. just okay. Just leaving it up to interpretation. So are they already dead and they're, going, and they're ghosts going back to find their own bodies? An artist never has to explain their own work. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, that's a real thinker. That's yeah. Interesting, okay. Yeah, I think I like the idea that they're already dead. and That's very Stephen King, that they find out only at the end that they were ghosts the whole time. Yeah. Could be could be something like that. Could be more of a, you know, like, which... Like, maybe one person's dead, but, like, which person is dead, who knows? Mm, okay. Um, yeah, there's okay. a few ways that you could take it. I know. That's, that's, that's very open-ended and interesting. Yeah, so that's go your own way. Cool. Okay, and I think that title does work, actually. Yeah, okay, yeah, good. Now that I've thought about it. Now I've heard the whole story, so... Mm. Great, okay. Very good. So, uh, I guess that leads us to a listener submission. Oh, yes, it does. Have you got any this week? Uh, yeah, I've got one or two. Oh, good. So, Phil Better, from the Phil Better Show, says, This is such a great movie, I can't ruin it with a sequel or prequel. Well, I can always try. <laughs> uh, the prequel will be finding out how the dead body got there. Uh-huh. It's called Before I Stand By You. I always did. I thought about that too, like having the story of that character. I forget his name now, but mm. yeah, that that could be interesting. Like, what was he doing? What was it? Did he have any friends? Like, yeah. What's his story? I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. That's a good. One. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Hayes says, "I think Stand by Me is one of the three best movies I've ever seen." Wow, people High really praise. like this film. Yeah. High praise, mm-hmm. uh, and he says, "I guess they could always do a sequel of the gang getting back together years later and having another adventure, or a prequel about how the kid died or something." If they really had to do a follow-up, I'd rather they just have it follow a different group of kids having a different, life-changing adventure. Like, similar concept, but different story and character beats and stuff. Don't mess with a classic. I, I think that's fair, yeah. Mm. You do like a 21st century update, new kids, new story, but mm, yeah. like, make it a Netflix series or something. That seems to be the thing. That yeah, put some monsters in there. Make one of them super-powered. Well, no, I'm not. Let's not go nuts. There's, <laughs> plen- there's plenty of that around already. Um, okay, so Clayton Andrews says, Sequel. Kiefer Sutherland's character was actually a manifestation of Pennywise the Clown. Oh, gosh. 27 years later, the boys have to reunite, put him down for good. Ooh, okay. Interesting. That works. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Mosh Heisen says, Some sort of Lost Boys slash Sliders slash Star Wars Next Generation crossover. Yep, That's you know. stuff that they were all in. I guess, that, I guess that works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last one I've got here, Jack Cox says, watch over me. Chris comes back as a ghost after the other three reunited at the restaurant he died at. Wacky antics ensue. Ooh, okay. Have wacky you... antics yeah. is a comedy. Wacky antics is I interesting. Mean, they recast River Phoenix. I guess they would, yeah. Hmm. Joaquin? Would you like to play your dead brother in a comedy <laughs> sequel to the movie you made when you were a kid? <laughs> I'm sure he would jump at the chance. <laughs> yeah, maybe I didn't think that through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I have some as well. Uh, Robert Young said, an updated version for the 21st century. Hmm? Hey, want to go see a dead body? Pulls out iPhone, opens YouTube app. Great, right. yeah. Scott Meeker said, stand by her, the all-female reboot. Hmm? He also said, Stand By Free, in which the reboot is ignored in favour of, of a carbon copy remake of the original, which is inexplicably billed as a sequel. <laughs> yeah. uh, Robert Young said don't stand so close to me nice yeah with, nice. A, with a score by Sting yeah that's good <laughs> yeah I like that <laughs> this is my favourite Wade Goodenberger said stand blimey a British remake <laughs> <laughs> Terry Parr said stand by me too the return of Lardass nice yeah Rob Trainer said seriously guys stop sending me leeches every Christmas it's not funny anymore the Gordy the <laughs> Chart story <laughs> Laura McDaniel said, Night of the Standing Dead. It turns out they're actually living through a zombie apocalypse. The body they went to see springs to life and chases them down. Yeah, great. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Dobson says, The group have their dreams haunted by some sort of demon who looks like, I don't know, a clown. Also, bullies try to literally murder them. So, great. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike Carey said, Stand by me too. Whatever happened to the pieting contest guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could work. Uh, over on Twitter, Blokebusters, at Blokebusters, said, Stood by us, 
The film's events are called into question as we see the surviving members gather and we learn that they all have differing accounts of the experience. Mm. We see each version with small things changing each time. In the end, we find out that the whole thing was invented by the boys to cover up the fact that they were actually responsible for the death of the person they found. And they concocted the lie to protect each other. They even began to believe the lie themselves. Hmm. The film ends as the group comes to the realisation that the story was a cover-up. We get a slow fade to black as they all look at each other with fear in their eyes. Okay. Wow, that's that's interesting. I like Mm -hmm. that. It's very dark, but Mm -hmm. yeah. At the cinema, guys, it said, Stand over there. (laughs) It's the summer that Chris was supposed to get married. That's the River Phoenix character. Mm -hmm. They all come together for a bachelor party to wake up in the morning after and Chris is gone. The clock is ticking as they try to piece together the night before and find their missing friend. It's never been done before. And then they just posted a picture of the hangover. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> at Aussie Nerds Pod said, Stand by me too. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. The Contrarians at Contrarian Prime said, Sit by me. They're old men now. Their knees, are, their knees hurt. <laughs> Gone are the days of playing chicken with a train. They sit down, have coffee, and reminisce about how awesome it was when Kiefer Sutherland got hit by a bus and died. Great. <laughs> Uh, film gamer at serious underscore George said simple they all reunite in their present day ages if they are not dead and they go for a hike in the woods and end up getting seriously injured because they're not kids anymore <laughs> and finally at only movie pod said I was here 15 years later Gordy is a successful writer on a book tour in Maine he reunites with Chris who's now a lawyer they discover that Teddy has been accused of murder and decide to travel back home to find out what happened as they piece together the fragments of Teddy's life, they realise he's been entirely mistreated by the local hospital for mental illness. A male nurse has framed him for the death of his wife, who was sleeping with Vern, who's now a narcissistic playboy. Gordy writes an article for Harper's Bazaar on mental illness, and Chris successfully argues to have Vern exonerated. The boys celebrate one last time before going their separate ways. Chris stays in Maine one last night and tries to stop a fight in a bar. One of them pulls a knife. It's the man who framed Teddy. Gordy dedicates his next book to Chris's memory. Okay, mm. that brings them all back together. And mm. I like that, that's very good. Yeah. So that was I Was Here by At Only Movie Pod. And yeah, those are our listener submissions for this week. If you have any sequel ideas for Stand By Me or any films we've done in the past, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. Our podcast is available on all good podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, you name it, we're on it. If we're not on it, let us know and we will get on it. You can also contact us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Beyond the Box Set or at Beyond the Box Set on Twitter. And our Patreon is patreon.com forward slash Beyond the Box Set. And next week, Harry. Next week, it's a very special episode. um, Because we're having a returning guest. It is my brother, Sam, who previously guested on our With Nail and I episode. A classic, yes. Mm -hmm. And so he's coming back to Leeds. And next week, he's going to be joining us and doing. A film that's been on our list for a while. Mm. So we were originally going to do this for our 100th episode, but then we decided not to because it might not have gone on so well live. But it is it has for a long time been the top of the IMDb top 250 list of films. Is it still number one? I believe it is. Wow. Um, so yeah, next week we're going to be doing The Shawshank Redemption. That's a lot of pressure for Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest film of all time, according to the internet. So... I guess, according to one website. According to, yeah, people who vote on IMDb. Yeah. Cool, so yeah, join us next week for The Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, thank you everybody, and see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Complete and total Barfarama.